The information on this podcast is for educational purposes only and does not contain or constitute and should not be interpreted as any form of medical advice or opinion. You should always seek the advice of your healthcare provider about any questions or concerns that you may have. Welcome back to the Unfiltered podcast. On this show, we interview mental health professionals about abusive, toxic and healthy relationships. It is our hope that these interviews help you cultivate safe relationships. You have to be able to say loving, kind things and reject unkind things about yourself through your own internal monologue. Because once you internalize that, it becomes more obvious to you that you shouldn't accept it outside either. So anybody that's coming outside of you with this sort of language, it will start to feel very unacceptable and very discordant with how you feel inside. Hello everyone, my name is Juliana Aiken. I'm the host of the Unfiltered podcast and a co-founder of Unfiltered. Today I'm interviewing Brenda Stephens. She is a licensed professional clinical counselor and a group practice owner in San Diego, California, where she and her colleagues provide individual and group therapy to those who have been impacted by a relationship with a narcissist. She provides training to other therapists to expand their knowledge and understanding of narcissistic abuse. She is an author of two books on narcissism, Recovering from Narcissistic Mothers, A Daughter's Guide, and the Narcissism Recover Workbook, Skills for Healing from Emotional Abuse. Do you want to know how you can protect your reality from gaslighting? Do you want to know how to overcome feelings of incompetency after being gaslighted? Do you want to learn about different ways you can stop taking responsibility for the behavior of others? Do you want to learn more about cognitive dissonance? If you answered yes to any of these questions, then this episode is for you because Brenda Stephens will be discussing these topics in our show today. Hi Brenda, thank you for joining me today. It's nice to have you in this podcast episode. Thank you, thank you for inviting me. Okay, let's get started right away with the questions and the question number one is... How can I hold on to my reality during the actual gaslighting? I can't just pull out a journal and write down what is happening, but I can't just do nothing and let him manipulate reality. What can I do to protect my reality during the gaslighting? So um, this was a hard question. I had to really think about the answer to this because um, you're right. Like in the moment, you you can't just say, hold hold that thought and let me go (laughs) journal about this, right? Also, you probably won't have the awareness right away of what's going on. It might take a little bit into the conversation to say, oh, that person's gaslighting me. And honestly, this is even a skill you are not going to have when you're early on in a relationship with a narcissist to recognize um, and identify gaslighting in the moment. So people who have been in these relationships longer certainly can. They can develop that skill. skill, But early on, you're not going to recognize it. it. Luckily, for most of us, this behavior is fairly foreign, um, unless you've been raised by a narcissist, but that's a whole other story. But um, in the moment, I think the, the best tool you can use, and even if you're not identifying and recognizing it as gaslighting, but there's something in your system that says this isn't right, you have this instinct or this gut reaction that says, wait a minute, this doesn't make any sense. I honestly believe the best thing to do is the gray rocking, um, and that is pro- I, probably a term that your listeners have heard before and I can explain it if you feel like it needs explanation uh yeah because yeah yes please (laughs) 
Yeah, okay. So the term gray rocking is used in narcissistic language, narcissistic abuse language, I should say. Um, and really what it means is being as dull as a gray rock. So you're not giving any feedback, you're not reacting, you're not, you're not giving fuel to the fire that the narcissist is trying to light. So in those moments of gaslighting, the best thing you can do is kind of just shut it it all down like you you just become as dull as a gray rock you don't engage in any way you may feel a lot of feelings and i'm not saying don't feel your feelings you're probably going to feel a lot of feelings as you do this but the safest place for you to be is just imagine yourself as this gray rock and when when the the fire is put out um you go and journal at that time right you or you talk to your friends if you still have a support system you you do whatever you can to get yourself ground excuse me, grounded back into your reality, because these really, these situations are so incredibly harmful and can really lead to us dissociating, really kind of going somewhere else in our minds. And gray rocking can kind of feel like that too, but we want to be very intentional about gray rocking and just, just kind of shutting it down. Like we just go blank. We don't give them anything to work from. They don't, they're going to try to pull things out of us and we just shut it all down. Mm-hmm. Yes, and I do believe I that. that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it does make sense, and I do believe that when you do an informed decision to intentionally use the gray rock, it gives you a sense of kind of control in the situation. Even though from the outside looking in, someone who is just observing the interaction that you are having with the narcissist, it could look like that the narcissist is kind of, you know, on top or dominating the conversation because the other person is just withdrawing or trying to not to give any interaction. But because the sense sense of not having any control in narcissistic relationships is real so i i think i believe that if you are able to do an informed informed decision to okay i'm gonna use gray rock to protect myself it gives you a sense of control and it maybe a little bit you know helps in that way as well I think so. I think so. And and that informed decision is a very good point, right? This is something we're not like trying to I, dissociating is when when you your brain kind of it kind of goes in protection mode and it makes it so that you're not you're sort of distancing your consciousness in a way um, from what's happening in the moment. And we don't want it to be that because that can lead into unhealthy behaviors and, and missing out on life, honestly. Um, it is a protective factor that the brain does, and I don't want that to scare anybody. I think it's a beautiful thing that our brain does for us. Um, but in these situations, the informed decision is is key. Like we are choosing to just kind of mentally check out of this conversation. We know that it, there's going to be a bunch of nonsense and insults and hurtful words thrown our way, and we choose to just not not allow it in. So I want to really differentiate that there's a difference here in the intentionality of doing this. Mm. Can you give a simple step-by-step -step guide that I can follow to stop feeling incompetent? My brother is very manipulative and over the years his gaslighting has destroyed my confidence. Mm. This is a great question. They're all great questions. Um, I'm, of course, this is certainly more than... Um, then then can be covered in a podcast right this is this is deeper therapy work um but i can say that things that people can do to start the process of 
building self-confidence is really looking inward and and sort of examining the conversations you have with yourself and the language that you use with yourself, right? And I really feel like that's where it starts, especially so I'm, I'm going to take a leap here. Like if you have a brother that's a narcissist, you probably have more narcissists in your family. There's probably a parent, there's probably somebody else too, which means the language that maybe the person who wrote this question or any of us that relate to this question, the language that we're using toward ourself is probably the same language that's being, has been used toward us for years if we've been raised by a narcissist. And that is that you're not good enough, you're ugly, you need to lose weight, you need to um, fix your hair. I mean, uh, it can be a lot of different things that just sort of tear us down. So then when we are, when we're sort of in our moments throughout our day, like say we drop something and we say, oh, I'm such an idiot. I can't believe I dropped that. Right. And I think a lot of us automatically have this automatic way of talking to ourselves that use words like that, like idiot or some, you know, some derogatory term. Those are the things that you need to change first. Right. You have to be able to say loving, kind things and reject unkind things about yourself through your own internal um, monologue or dialogue, however you want to look at it, um, first, right? Because once you internalize that, it it's becomes more obvious to, to you that you shouldn't accept it outside either. So anybody that's coming outside of you with this sort of language, language it will start to feel very unacceptable and very um, discordant with how you feel inside as you start to change this process. It is a slow process. I will tell you, this is something I started doing for myself very, very early on before I even realized that um, narcissistic abuse was going on in my life. But I really told myself, I'm not going to talk to my way to myself the way that people hurt me talk to me. And and that was just such a pivotal moment in my life that changed everything. It led to everything that ended up healing me. So I know that's a, a really minute um small answer but i promise it has huge results if you keep following it and it even goes on to things like um it, and it's going to sound silly but like standing in the mirror and in front of the mirror and saying i love you to yourself it, most of us hear that and we'll go oh, i'm not going to do that right it's really powerful though those kinds of things or even taking a moment um to thank your body for healing a scratch on your arm or, you know, something as simple as that, but just really turning the love inward so that anything that's unloving that comes at you feels really out of place. In addition to the wonderful advice that Brenda just gave us, how focusing on shifting the internal dialogue or monologue that we have with ourselves to overcome the feeling of incompetence, there are some other things that you could consider trying out. But first, what exactly is a feeling of incompetence? It refers to the perception that one lacks the necessary skills, abilities or qualifications to perform a task or fulfill a role. So it essentially means that you believe that you are unable to do something successfully. So in addition to Brenda's advice, I'm now going to give you five other ideas that you could try to overcome your feeling of incompetence. The number one is set realistic goals. Set small achievable goals for yourself and work towards them. This will help you build confidence in your abilities and give you a sense of accomplishment. The second one is learn from your mistakes. Instead of dwelling on your mistakes, learn from them. Reflect on what you could have done differently and use that knowledge to improve in the future. The third one is develop new skills. 
take on new challenges and learn new skills. This will help you to expand your abilities and feel more competent. The fourth one is surround yourself with supportive people. Seek out people who will encourage and support you. We have a private community filled with supportive and encouraging people, so you can consider joining it. You can find the link in the podcast notes. Additionally, If you are currently in contact with the narcissistic person, try to minimize any interactions that you have with them, if possible. Do not tell them about your goals or aspirations, because this can give them the opportunity to invalidate them, make fun of them and you, and this can make you feel less competent. The fifth one is celebrate progress. So acknowledge and celebrate your progress, no matter how small or big, because this helps to boost your confidence. I think it's also important to be aware of the things or situations that can make your feeling of incompetence worse so that you can avoid these situations or things that do not help you in overcoming your feeling of incompetence. So here are four things that can make your feeling of incompetence worse. The first one is comparison to others. Comparing yourself to others who seem more skilled or successful can make you feel inadequate and incompetent. Instead of comparing yourself to others, remember that everyone has their own unique journey and experiences and it's more beneficial to focus on your own progress and growth rather than comparing yourself to others. The second one is perfectionism. Having unrealistic expectations of yourself and striving for perfection can lead to feelings of incompetence when you inevitably make mistakes. And this is why I said earlier that it is important to set realistic goals. The third one uh, that can make your feeling of incompetence worse is past experiences. So negative experiences or past failures can lead to feelings of incompetence and self-doubt. But if you have failed in the past, instead of letting it affect you negatively, you could reframe your thinking. So instead of focusing on the negative aspects of failure, try to see it as an opportunity to learn and grow because failure can be a valuable source of feedback and can help you identify areas where you need to improve. And if you believe that you have failed in something, try to understand what went wrong and identify what you can do differently in the future to avoid making the same mistakes. Uh, And the fourth one is obviously gaslighting. So if you are being gaslighted, recognize this and understand that it is a form of manipulation and the gaslighter's goal is to make you feel incompetent. Whenever there is gaslighting, remember to always validate your own feelings. Remind yourself that you do not need the abusive or narcissistic person's validation to feel competent. All you need to feel competent is within you already. Also, when there is the feeling of incompetency, there usually is also other difficult feelings like feelings of inadequacy and self-doubt. In fact, self-doubt might be one of the biggest obstacles that you face when trying to overcome the feeling of incompetence. Self-doubt can make it difficult to take action and make progress towards overcoming your feelings of incompetence. What I have found the most helpful to overcome this is that despite of the self-doubting thoughts, you just start and do not let the self-doubting thoughts to stop you. Okay, what about when someone is feeling competent? I believe that when we can visualize our end goal, which in this case is overcoming the feeling of incompetence, it can help us to achieve our goal and keep us motivated. 
So when someone is feeling competent, they believe in their abilities and skills. They feel capable of tackling challenges and believe they are able to achieve their goals. Someone who is feeling competent might also experience a sense of pride in their accomplishments and feel that they are making a positive impact in their lives. Someone who is confident is more likely to approach new tasks and opportunities with a positive and open mindset and they are less likely to doubt themselves or feel overwhelmed by the challenges they face and they may feel a sense of resilience when faced with obstacles. And all this sounds great. Remember that you too can overcome your feeling of incompetence. It can take time, effort and patience to overcome it. But with the right strategies and mindset, you can overcome it and build a more positive and confident mindset. And uh, can I can I ask, uh, how did you, you mentioned that you started to use that while you were still in the narcissistic relationship without realizing that you were experiencing narcissistic abuse, what did something happen that you just, then you just realized, okay, this is it. I'm, I'm not going to talk to myself internally the same way as people around me are talking to me or person. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't remember if something, um, I mean, I, who knows this was before the, like, memes and things, you know, before social media and all of that stuff. I don't remember what sparked it, but I just remember, honestly, what I remember is I dropped an egg on the floor one day and I beat myself up. I was so mad at myself for dropping the egg and having to clean up the mess. And I was talking to myself like that, like, I'm, I'm such an idiot. I can't believe I did this. Now I have to all of, and that was a pivotal mo- moment for me. I was like, why am I doing this? You know, I'm, it's an egg. I can easily clean it up. I have more eggs in the refrigerator. It's no big deal. Um, but I remember that being when I started doing it, but I just don't really remember what motivated that. I'm sure I probably heard something that said, don't be mean to yourself or, you know, something like that along the way. But that was the moment that I internalized it. Mm. Okay, great. Mm-hmm. Thank you. And I'm so glad to hear that, that <laughs> you were able to do that switch while being in the environment that is so harmful and can make us kind of feel like there is no hope and there is no way out or you know absolutely uh the next question is because of my abusive childhood upbringing i have become accustomed accustomed to taking responsibility for others bad behavior now i am in an abusive marriage and find myself apologizing for things that i haven't done how can i stop this pattern of behavior hmm. um honestly i think a lot of this is another um another an- a, a similar answer to this to the previous question um is really just loving yourself and and really loving yourself enough to have boundaries within yourself which is a hard concept to understand i think but what what I mean by saying that is just really recognizing from the top of your head to the tip of your toes, that's what you can control, right? You cannot control anything else. And I think I think when we when we're in abusive relationships, we always think we've done something wrong. And when someone else does something wrong, we somehow take some sort of blame for that too. Also, people who have been abused, especially starting in childhood, just learn to take the responsibility for everything, right? Little kids don't understand that the world is a very big place and that things outside of what they can even fathom at, you know, three or four years old 
are influencing people's behaviors. So if a child, a young child is born into a, a family where there's a lot of abuse going on, they learn, oh, I did something, you know, this cause and effect, like they learn, okay, well, I remember I cried and then my, my dad threw a plate across the room. Um, this is going to be a child's way of connecting these two events when they probably have no connection whatsoever. And you, you take years and years and years of that as that child grows up, they're taking responsibility for everything. And I think that is kind of where we get at this question where people are saying, oh, I'm sorry, my husband behaved that way, or I'm sorry, um, my mom, or you know, whatever it is, um, behaved that way when really, again, top of your head to the tip of your toes is what you have control over. You have no control over how someone else behaves. And really understanding that and accepting that and having that boundary for yourself, I think is really crucial in the healing process as well. Um, it's also a way to, and I know this wasn't asked, but it's also a way to um, remove, hopefully remove yourself to, from some, some of the uh, verbal abuse that you're getting from a narcissist. Right, because you're going to be accused. They're, if narcissists project their shame and their their hate for themselves onto everyone around them, especially those closest to them, and we can easily absorb that. And I think if we have this boundary again, from top of head to tip of toes, where we say, "Oh, I I wasn't responsible that he lost his job or something like that," it's also another way to protect ourselves and to build our self-esteem. Going back to the previous question as well. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and all because they can't take account accountability um, because their own ego or, I don't know, sense of self is so fragile that they just can't handle the, you know, basic skill of taking responsibility for your own mistakes or bad behavior or, you know problems right. you're right the, <laughs> exactly and that you're that is exactly it the 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 self, sense of self the ego is so incredibly fragile that any any blame or even them thinking of taking account accountability is what causes the narcissistic wound and that is when you might see rage i mean the the implications there are varied but this is often where you see narcissistic rage when you have that narcissistic wound um and that's that's not fun to deal with and you can see why most of us tiptoe around that and take responsibility we we don't want to be the subject or the direct um target of the narcissistic rage mm -hmm. exactly it can be very dangerous um i have been trying to figure out why my brother defends my mother's abuse for quite some time now and i came across something called cognitive dissonance can you please explain to me what this is and how it makes people defend their abusers mm -hmm. so cognitive dissonance is probably my favorite thing to talk about when we talk about narcissistic abuse because i think it explains a lot of why we've been duped really why we've been conned by by this and even when it's our a parent or somebody close to us um <clears throat> and i always like to give a caveat to i use the term cognitive dissonance i've, I've actually written about it in my books and the trainings i do and I, and i always give this caveat because it's not like the exact true like sci psychological definition but it's very close um cognitive dissonance in narcissistic abuse relationship is simply we were given this vision of what this person is initially, whether it be a parent or a, a partner, a sibling, a friend, a boss, whatever. They put on their, their their a good face for us if it's not a parent, like 
they wanted us to see them in a certain light. If it is a parent, it's a little bit different because young chil- children, well, from birth, um, children rely on their parent for survival, for food, nurturing, you name it, like basic survival, and that, that continues through throughout their lives, uh, throughout all of, all of our lives. Um, when we look at abuse, and this is more of the actual psych- psychological definition of this, is a child who's being abused by their parent has to be able to see the parent as a good person because they cannot distinguish in their brains loving a person who hits them or and for a kid I mean hitting hitting is a better example to use because a child can't understand emotional abuse when they're very very young but to to feel safe with their parent who they rely on for survival they have to dismiss the abuse and only focus on maybe the few things that are loving in that relationship or the few moments like they give me food they must love me kind of idea right so if we if we expand that into adult relationships with um, romantic partners, I'm going to use as an example. What we have is a person who you started a relationship out with who who promised you the world basically, or promised you that they understand you, that they are your soulmate, they are the connection um, that you always wanted, and you believe it because they've been studying you and they're feeding you back the information that you've already given them. You know, I think I've used this example before, too. Like you tell them your favorite flowers are daisies in passing conversation and they bring it up constantly in the future or they bring you daisies constantly in the future and you say, oh, they really get me. Right. So when the when the relationship starts out that way and then you move on for a few months or a year later and you start to see this abuse more clearly, we hold on to the daisy person. Right. We don't hold on to this person that we're now seeing, even though that's the real person. What we hold on to is, oh, they really loved me. Remember how much he understood me or how much he really got me and saw me. Um, This is just not, this is, he's just in a bad mood. Like, we'll excuse it. And this is what cognitive dissonance is. We're holding on to this belief, this picture that we want to hold on to and ignoring all the evidence that is contrary to that. So (laughs) I'm going to back up a little bit and say, like in this question, this person asks about, um, I think, the, the relationship with a sibling, if I'm correct yeah brother defends the mother's abuse i would say that this describes why the brother does that it's it's actually pretty common and especially if a mother if a parent is a narcissist and there are siblings the siblings are going to play different roles the brother defending the mother makes me question um whether or not he's the golden child first of all and the golden child often um defers um, reflects back to the narcissist um everything that the narcissist wants so the narcissistic parent um, triangulates the children or, or pits the children against each other. So this, in this relationship specifically described in this um, question, the brother is defending the mom and the, the sibling of this brother doesn't understand it. Um, and I think this this is the reason for all of it. This brother is holding on to cognitive dissonance, not not seeing the mother for who she really is and is so... Um, I guess, dedicated, uh, without probably even knowing of it, so dedicated to protecting himself and protecting his status with the mother that everyone else is um, collateral damage, basically. So he's going to um, he's going to go against the siblings in order to stay in favor with the parent. I think I answered that in a really long way. <laughs> you answered Sorry. in a very detailed and helpful way, I would say. I hope so. <laughs> yes, uh, 
it, it makes a lot of sense because it creates so much psychological tension in us to like let's say we are in a romantic relationship and we would have to at some like if if the relationship then becomes abusive or is abusive and was from the start but we just didn't know it yet uh and then we have to kind of like then the information and behavior changes and we anymore have this belief that oh they are still this wonderful person who loves me yeah. even though we can see uh unconsciously or consciously that changed behavior so we have now new information but we are holding on to this belief because it it helps us to cope in the situation it eases yes. the psychological ten tension that we are feeling it releases that stress and the, you know the constant thinking that like are we going to last like am i like do they love me it's just easy it might be in some situations oh, easier yeah. to just be like yes i do believe they are still this person that they were of course they are why wouldn't they be mm -hmm. absolutely and to tell you uh, the truth like a lot of the folks that i work with that are now um leaving or out of the relationship this is still an issue they still have a problem really seeing like the, the person that was the loving kind person never existed um they were putting on an act to try to win you over and it's really hard for people to to wrap their heads around that and then the other piece of that that's very hard is then people feel like they've been that they've been foolish and that, that's heartbreaking to me because none of us have been foolish we have all been manipulated and it's not by anything that we did or any fault of ours somebody told us a really beautiful story and we had no reason to not believe it you know and then when the evidence came that was contrary to that we still held on to that belief of goodness which i think is just sort of a human thing um it's just sort of how our brains operate we don't naturally go looking uh you know under you know under everything to find out the truth when when there doesn't seem to be a reason to at first and especially when sad it, it really breaks my heart yeah yeah and especially we don't go look for evidence if we are given the words and the beautiful story with the behavior as well for example that they don't only just you know say those nice things or you know but they then actually in the beginning they, they pack it up with their behavior so you have oh, like yeah. kind of no reason to you know try to look for contrary evidence or other mo mo uh, like reasons why this person would be behaving in the way they do so i i do i completely understand that that's one huge is issue also after nar uh, getting out of narcissistic relationship like trust issues <laughs> like obviously oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> if you have been through like a romantic narcissistic relationship and the start was so so nice and they just pretended someone who never existed no wonder if you have trust issues after that oh definitely mm. yeah it makes sense right i hear that a lot like most people who are out of the relationship don't even want to think about getting into yeah. another relationship they just want to heal um, and i think that's probably very wise yeah yeah it is so we don't end up in another one because we aren't, yeah, aren't exactly. fully healed yes <laughs> Okay, great. Today we had some great questions and great answers. So I want to thank everyone for listening to this. And thank you, Brenda, so much for coming to this episode and answering all these questions. 
Thank you so much for allowing me to. I really appreciate any opportunity to get the word out about this. If you have enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review and share the episode with your friends and family. Have a wonderful rest of your day and see you in the next episode.